0: I would imagine that for all the different things that are on your mind when you come to this church or any church, um, you probably haven't thought much about the actual architecture of this building you're sitting in, have you? Uh, To most of us, this is just sticks and bricks and carpet and seats. There's not really, you know, anything real significant happening here. Um, This church building you're in today was designed clearly with function over form. In fact, I was talking to Brother Jimmy... Just the other day about this church building, when it was built, um, the church decided not to have any stained glass, not to have any chandeliers like a lot of other churches do because the church wanted to communicate that it's the people that make Sharon Heights special. And I love that, don't you? It's an awesome, awesome thing. But e- even though some ways this may be architecturally unremarkable, there are some really important things you can tell about our church by the architecture here. Uh, one of them is this large swimming pool-like thing behind me called a baptistry. We take it for granted that it's there, you may not even have paid attention to it, but that comes from our conviction as Baptists that if you're going to baptize people, you need to do it in a place where it's big enough for grown-ups to go all the way under the water. And there are hundreds of years of thinking and teaching and, and preaching about that point. Another unique architectural feature of this church is the place where I'm standing right now, this kind of elevated stage area behind this podium that we call a pulpit, that this is almost, as it were, the center of... The building, it draws your eye and draws your attention to everything that's going to happen here. If you've been in churches of different denominations, they might have uh, the pulpit over to the side and a little baptistry for babies in the middle or a communion table in the middle. But why is it that the pulpit is at the center of this church and some other churches like ours? Well, we believe that the Word of God is the place where God makes Himself known. And we believe that our pastors should preach the Word of God, and so they need somewhere to put their Bible when they preach. Uh, We believe that God speaks, that God speaks through His Word, and that preaching, insofar as it is faithful to Scripture, is the central act of Christian worship. That we want to feel good things about God, and we want to enjoy what we feel to be true about God, but we want to make sure from the Word that we've got it right about who God is. And this is where God has made Himself known to us. In fact, we believe those things so strongly that throughout the centuries, Baptists, like us, have been called people of the book. Think about that. We're not called people of the water, even though we have what has been a very unique view of baptism throughout the history of the church. We're not even called people of the crock pot or the casserole, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? But we're called people of the book. But are we really people of the book? I know some of y'all today look around at our church, and you, you know it could be a whole lot cooler than it is. The pastor may not be able to be any cooler, but the church could be a whole lot cooler than it is. And we need to get rid of anything that looks like church the way grandpa did it or grandma did it. And we need to have a cool, trendy church. And others of y'all like grandma and grandpa pretty good. I like my grandparents. And you think, no, we need to reject all those modern notions about what church could be. All of those modern ideas of these successful big box churches. And we need to go back to the way it was in the good old days. But as a church, are we really willing to say that we're just going to take the Bible at face value, and whether that makes us trendy or whether it makes us traditional or whether it makes us neither or both, we're just going to stick with what God says. Some of y'all would say, I know, no, 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 Pastor, we need to be, we need to be grounded. The Word of God, we're standing on the promises at Sheridan Heights. But is that true in your family? You expect that the Bible is communicated here by the professional staff, but is that happening around your kitchen table? Is it happening in your home? Then maybe some of y'all aren't even really sure why the Bible is so important as the Word of God. I mean, wouldn't it it be better if God would like speak to me personally and give me a really direct message for my life? That He would just come to me with some kind of internalized feeling that I knew really was God? What if if God did that? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that make it easier for us to be the people God wanted us to be? Today, I'm going to be honest. I'm so glad that y'all are here. Because I get to talk to you about what is one of the most revolutionary and important ideas that I could ever tell you. We've been talking over the past few weeks about the doctrine of Revelation. How does God make Himself known? I'm trying to tell you that God has made Himself known in creation and in conscience. But God primarily has made Himself known in the person of His Son. And that this book is the means by which we know the Son who is God. And today I want to talk to you about really the sufficiency of Scripture. That the Bible is enough. Here's what I want you to take away with you as we go in a few minutes. The Bible is enough for you to know everything that God wants you to know about Him. The Bible is enough for everything that God wants you to do for Him. Everything that you need to be what God wants you to be, you're going to find it right here. And the Bible is enough. I want to show that to you in the same passage of scripture we looked at last Lord's Day morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we've got this copied and pasted on the screen for you. But I'd like for you to see these words and I'd like for you to stand as we reverence and honor the Word of God while we read it today 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 14. Translations may say perfect, maybe mature. That's the idea, complete, equipped for every good work. You can be seated, and I trust the Lord to accomplish His will through His Word today. You read the book of 2 Timothy, and it's a book written from a man with a pastor's heart to a pastor. So it's easy sometimes to dismiss the book of 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy and Titus if you're not a pastor, if you're not a preacher. But if you read these books carefully, you'll see that This book in particular is written to a man, Timothy, who's very insecure. A man who's not sure of how he's going to face the future. A man who probably would be diagnosed today with a pretty severe anxiety issue. And underneath all of the writing about church and pastoring and all of that is Paul trying to encourage a brother who's down. So, you may not be a pastor today, but do you ever feel like you don't measure up? Do you ever feel like you're just not going to be able to face the future and the obstacles and opportunities that are out there in front of you? Do you ever wonder if people really are against you? And Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the responsibilities that are placed upon you? Well, if so, you might make a great pastor because that's exactly how Timothy feels in these verses of Scripture. He seems to be very, very insecure and confused. So imagine those challenges in the soul of an individual believer. But now think about that believer as the one in the church who is tasked with teaching the Word of God to other believers. Imagine this insecure, anxious, sometimes confused person tasked with telling other people about God, telling other people about life, spirituality. And about Jesus. You can see how this insecurity can start to mutate really, really quick and turn into problems. On the one hand, if Timothy's very, very insecure, he could become a tyrant trying to control everything, making sure that everything is working exactly the way he wants it to, so he doesn't feel threatened. On the other hand, maybe even worse than that, Timothy could get to the place where he starts to be driven to despair and depression because nobody likes him or nobody listens to him. But worse still, Timothy might be tempted to get people to like him so much and accept him so much that he would be tempted to shave some of the hard places off the message that he had to preach. And Paul has even told Timothy in these verses, Timothy, things are going to get bad. The market for people who faithfully preach the Word of God is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So what's Timothy supposed to do? Well, Paul wants to encourage Timothy, and he wants to give him some hope that will allow him to continue in the ministry of the gospel. And he's given him several examples, but the example and the motivation he gives him in the text we've read today is really he reintroduces him to his Bible. He says, Timothy, remember how the Bible was able to point you to Jesus for the salvation of your soul. Timothy, recognized that your Bible is breathed out from God. It's inspired by God. We talked about that last Sunday morning. And it's profitable for you to reprove you of your sin, to train you in righteousness. The Bible really is all that you need. So what I want to do today is I want to preach to you about Timothy's Bible and show you how if Timothy really understood his Bible, and I'm sure that he did deep down, if Timothy really understood his relationship to his Bible, then it would change everything about his life his church, and his future. And so what I want to do is is take this relationship Timothy had with his Bible, and I want to apply it to three areas of his life that I see mentioned here in this text. And I hope that as you see Timothy's relationship with his Bible, that it will forever change your relationship with your Bible. So let's look at the first area here. The first area of Timothy's life that's connected to his Bible is his personal life. You see that Paul is writing to a real individual that has passed, that had a childhood. Imagine that. Preachers used to be kids at one time. Had a childhood that had real hopes and dreams. And so Paul goes back to the earliest days of his childhood in verse number 15 and says, From that childhood you were acquainted with the Holy Scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, this Bible is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. And even though this book is 66 smaller books, written by 40 different men over 1,500 different years, this book has one message, one promise, one hope, one foundation, and that is that God saves sinners through His Son, Jesus. And friend, I hope you know that's true today. For whatever else you may hear about the Bible, or may be confused about the Bible, please understand that this is a book that is all about Jesus. And so Timothy had accepted that message, he had heard the Word of God, and the Bible, Paul says, has brought you to the place where you have put your faith in Jesus. So know today that it is the message of the gospel in the Word of God that brings people to salvation. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter number 1, he said, You, talking to believers, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So when a person who is spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins encounters the living truth of the word of God, and the spirit of God plants that deep into the soul of their heart, and it blossoms into repentance and faith, that is how God produces eternal life. That is how God saves sinners, and it's always through the ministry of the Word of God. Now, when God saved you, you probably didn't know everything about the Bible. still don't know everything about the Bible. You might not have known anything about the Bible, but somehow God brought this book to where you were, and it changed your life. It might have been through a hellfire and brimstone revival preacher, or it might have been through a faithful grandma. But however it was, God orchestrated your life so that you would interact with this book. So Paul's refreshing Timothy's memory. Timothy, remember how your Bible showed you the message of the gospel and then produced faith in you to believe that gospel message. Now, I promise you today, just because I believe in honesty and preaching, I promise that at some point you're going to feel very guilty about your relationship with your Bible today. All right? You're going to think you don't read it enough. You're going to think you haven't been reading it with your kids enough. I promise you, you're going to feel terrible at some point during this message. That's my 100% guarantee you're your money back today. Because we do. People preach about the Bible. I know. I need to read it more. I need to do a better job memorizing it or whatever else. But even with all that aside, I want you just to think for just a moment. What would you trade for your relationship with your Bible? I mean, think about it. That when you were lost in your sins, filled with despair over who you were without God, this book came to you and said there is forgiveness in Jesus. What would you trade for that? On days now when you feel like you simply cannot go on and there is no hope for your future, and you feel all alone, this book comes along and says God would never leave you or forsake you. What would you trade for that? What would you give today for your Bible? What would you trade for the solid ground of God's truth to stand on when everything in your life makes no sense and is uncertain? What would you trade for your Bible? Man, we ought to thank God for this book We ought to thank God even if we don't read it the way we should. Even if we don't value it the way we should. We should thank God that we have this book that we can read and that we can understand. And that time and time again God uses it to challenge us and to help us. So this book had brought Timothy to faith in Christ. But Timothy's relationship with the Bible did not stop there. Because Paul says that this book is able, verse 16, profitable to continue to work in Timothy's life. And he says it's able to continue to... Teach you, to approve you, to correct you, to train you. It's profitable to teach you. This book is where you'll find out who God is. This book is where you will find out what God is like and how He wants you to live. This book, Paul says, Timothy, this will correct you. This will expose sin in your life, things that you didn't even think were really that big of a deal. You're gonna find out they're a big deal to God. Things that are hidden from your view right now, God will use this book over the years of your life to show them to you and to bring you to repentance. This book is able to correct you, straighten you out, change you from the inside out. In other words, as we go through this book, as we're reproved, corrected, and trained, this book is what God uses to continue the work of salvation that begins when we put our faith in Jesus after we hear the message of this book. The Bible is what God is using to save us today. Not from hell, because that's already happened if we've repented of our sins and believed in Jesus. But God does use this book to save us from our doubt. He uses this book to save us from sins that we don't even know are in there. He uses this book to save us from our confused thinking about who He is. He uses this book to save us from our selfishness. Jesus would say it this way, As he prayed on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was arrested and then tried and then crucified the next day. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Praying, Sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. This book is what God will use to expose sin to you, to reveal Jesus to you, to show you his expectation, to anchor your heart with his promises. God is still doing his saving work in you through this book. I read just this week... Psalms 119, it's the longest chapter in all the Bible, the longest psalm in all the Bible. And every verse is about the writer's relationship to the Word of God. And I went through those verses, and and I've read that, I don't know, a dozen times or more. But this week, for some reason, it just, man, gripped my heart as I saw the relationship this guy had with his Bible. And he says in verses 2 and 3, verse 9, the Bible keeps us from sin. He says, verses 49 and 52, the Bible gives us hope, makes us wise. In verse 66, it sustains us in affliction, allows us to grow in knowledge, reveals the character of God, gives us strength to navigate life. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you have enough from God in your Bible to be complete, to have everything that God wants you to do. Timothy, anything God wants you to do, He's made it clear to you in your Bible. Everything he expects for you to be, he's written it down in the pages of his word. All that he wants you to know, Timothy, it's right here. So I read this, and here's what I think of. Paul says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The King James translates that as truly furnished. Truly furnished. That everything is in place where it needs to be. So here's what I think of when I read this. Y'all remember that show? Still comes on, I guess. Uh, Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Man, we went crazy about that a couple years ago, didn't we? I mean, we were in the, all, all in the cold of lap there for a little bit, right? But you know the premise of the show, I guess, that that, that some couple buys a house, and Chip and Joanna are going to come in and, and are them the house or whatever. and They are going to remodel this house. They're going to go in this old broke-down house that's just held together by termites and asbestos, and they're going to go in and, and demo this house, and then they're going to... Uh, Certainly going to knock down a wall and open up the kitchen. You can believe that. Then they're going to put subway tile in the kitchen. And then before it's over, they're going to come in with all of this high-end looking farmhouse furnishings. And so when that couple walks into that house, man, they're stunned at the transformation that's taken place, right? You know, they pull the screen back walk in and they think, Is this the same house that we paid for a couple months ago? And what Paul would say is, even though Paul doesn't know who Chip and Joanna Gaines are, I guess, what Paul would say is, that's what God is doing in your life through His Word. That He comes in, He demos the junk through the Word. He comes in, He takes out what needs to be taken out through the Word. He comes in and refreshes what needs to be refreshed. And He comes in and furnishes every part of your life so that you can be what God wants you to be through the Word. Now, here's the problem we have. We think, man, that's great. But I don't know if that's really enough. I mean, wouldn't it just be so much better if God would come to me like He did to people in the Bible, give me these signs and wonders and dreams and visions and just come and speak to me and I can have all these great feelings and great experiences and know directly from God about what God's going to do and all this kind of stuff. Wouldn't that be awesome? And isn't it disappointing for the preacher to get up here and say, you know, just read your Bible? I mean, isn't there something more... Maybe you feel that way. I had a conversation with a lady in our church Wednesday night after church, and she said, am I missing something because I don't feel like God speaks to me? And I want to say, sister, read your Bible. God is speaking. God is speaking. But isn't that like disappointing, man? Isn't there something we're missing? Let me just tell you what you have in the Bible. Let me just tell you. I know we read about Isaiah and Elijah, you know, praying fire down from heaven, Elisha calling she-bears out of the woods, all these miracles. We think, man, we're missing out on this. But let me tell you something you have in your Bible that they didn't have. Can I tell you something that you have today? that nobody in the Bible, nobody in the Bible had. You have the whole Bible. None of them held a completed Bible in their hands. And none of those guys, at least in the Old Testament, none of them even knew the name of Jesus. And yet here we are with this book thinking, Lord, I wish you'd do a little bit more. Folks, you don't need God to tell you anything more. You need to dig into what God has told you here because He has told you enough. You have more clarity today about who God is. You have more clarity about what God is like. You have more clarity about God's purposes in the world and His expectations for your life. You have the full story so that on days when you feel like you simply cannot go on and you think, Lord, I wish there was a word from you. You have that word that God says to you in black ink on white paper that He will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. When you feel like you are all alone and you're trying to pray and it feels like God is not there. He's told you that He would never leave you nor forsake you. On days when you feel like, Lord, I don't know if you love me. I don't know if I'm good enough for you. He's told you that His love for you has at the cross of Jesus. And on the last day of life, When you close your eyes in death and go to a home in heaven, He has promised you in this book that His goodness and His mercy will follow you all the days of your life and He will shepherd you through the last valley as you go to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Bible is enough. It's enough. So, read your Bible. Now, I know, I know. You think I'm joking, but I'm really not. Read your Bible. But you think, okay, where do I start? Maybe I'm just now at the point where my faith is my faith and not my parents' faith or my grandparents' faith. I'm just now starting to walk with Jesus for myself. I don't know how to go through the Bible. Or maybe just the idea of sitting down in front of a book that's not a television. And there's no pictures in this, but a bunch of maps of places I'm never going to go. You think, I can't read. I just can't do that. Well, if you have a bulletin today, they're supposed to be in that bulletin. There it is. What is my favorite Bible reading plan ever, that I've ever used? And what it will give you are five passages to read every week. So you get two days off in the week. Isn't that amazing? You get five passages to read every week, but you also get a couple of memory verses that go along with the passages that you've read. So here's what you do. You can take this and you can start and read through it. I know we're in February, and you think, well, I've got to wait till January to start reading through the Bible. No, you don't. Week one, week one can be today. Week one can be today. And here's what you do. You find somebody in the church that you're friends with, that you text back and forth with, that you have a good relationship with. You go to them with this, and you say, we're reading the Bible together starting this year, starting today. Tomorrow, you have to read Genesis 1 and 2. That's where you are. Is That will help you stay accountable to that person. And so on days when you blow it, you say, man, I forgot to read, or this week I didn't memorize those verses then you can depend upon them to keep you honest. And that way on days when they blow it or weeks when they blow it, you can judge them for not being as spiritual as you are like a good Baptist. But this way you can go to people and you can say, let's go through the Word of God together. Read it, memorize it, and know it because it is enough. So Paul reminds Timothy of what the Word of God does in his personal life. But he also reminds Timothy of what his Bible does in his church life. Remember that Timothy is an individual Christian. He's got his own struggles and challenges and sins, but he's also a pastor. So he's tasked with preaching this book to other people. And that maybe wasn't always easy because Timothy has been told and will be told. He's been told already in chapter 3. He will be told in chapter 4 that eventually people are going to have what Paul calls itching ears you ever have an itch way down inside your ear that you can't scratch? You do anything to satisfy it. Paul says, Timothy, people are going to have that kind of an itch for error, and they're going to crave it so much that they will do everything that they can to find people to satisfy that. Timothy, it's going to be hard to continue to preach the Word, but what other message do you have? So what's Timothy supposed to do? He's supposed to commit to preaching the Word of God, Paul says in chapter 4, whether it's in season or out of season. He said, even if you've already reached your limit for the season, Timothy, you keep preaching it. Why? Because what else is there? So let me talk to you about Timothy's relationship to his Bible as a pastor, and let's talk about our church. Let me just go ahead and just. I believe it's true. Everything that God wants to do at Sharon Heights Baptist Church, he's going to do everything. The Word, Paul said here, the Word is the means that God uses to bring people to faith in Jesus. The Word is the tool that God uses to shape people as they grow to maturity in Jesus. Over and over again in Scripture, you see that God uses His Word to form a people. Read Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says that God had said to Abraham, Get from your country and go to the place I will show you. Imagine poor old Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel standing up before that valley of dry bones. And the Lord says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. Lord, I don't know, but you know. And then he preaches the word of God God to those dry bones. God begins to blow across that valley, and life comes where death was. God will do what he wants to do at shared Heights through his word. Now, I believe today that the challenge to churches like ours is not that we have any problem believing in the authority of Scripture. It's not that we have any problem believing in the purity of Scripture. Our problem, I really think, a lot of sufficiency is the of Scripture. Do we believe that the Bible is enough? Do we believe that the Bible is sufficient to meet the needs of people that come in this place? Do we really believe that people need nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else than the message of this book, rightly divided and then rightly applied? Would we stick to that? Even if the old folks get mad and the young people quit coming, would we stick to that? Because there really is a temptation that we have in a lot of churches today to make things so marketable and so user-friendly and so gimmicky that we'll do anything necessary just to get people to come. And we say that we're reaching people, but we're not reaching them with much of anything. So folks, I'll just tell you, I'm not real bright. I'm not a marketing genius. But I do know that the bearded lady at the fair, she draws a crowd too. We're, not, we're trying to do something different than merely have a crowd. We want to see God do something in people's lives, not merely have a bunch of people. Now, if God chooses to do that to a bunch of people at one time, praise God. If he doesn't, then that's okay. Just the other week, Amy showed me a, an Instagram video of a church uh, back in our area, back home, that they had this thing on Wednesday night to where if they had so many children come to their children's ministry, then one of their children's volunteer leaders would swallow a live goldfish. This is the, this is the draw to get people to come to church. I told Amy she needed to report them to Pete. I was like, just tag Pete in that post to see what happens. But you're not, listen, you're not eating live goldfish to draw a crowd because you believe the Bible is sufficient to accomplish God's work. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let me just back up and say, you don't have to worry about your pastor doing that, I promise. I don't like sushi that much. But then again, sometimes, some of you are like, that's right, bless God, preacher, those churches and their trends and all that stuff. we need to go back to the way it used to be. Go back to the old timey and traditional way. Well, a lot of the traditions that we have in churches, they have a whole lot more to do with culture and sentiment than they do Scripture. Traditions are wonderful things insofar as they help us to understand the Word of God more clearly. But they do not have more authority over us than the Word of God. Jesus dealt with that in Matthew chapter number 15. Talking to the Pharisees, he said, You hypocrites, Isaiah said about you that you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Then he said, In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He says, You've elevated your tradition above the Word of God, so that when God speaks to His Word, you don't hear it because you think you've already heard what God said. And there are a lot of people in churches like ours this morning that really don't know the difference between what God has said and what somebody told them God said. And we need to be careful about that. And so we get super offended when things are taught from the Bible that are new or that are different or that have been ignored by previous generations of Christians for whatever reason. And so we don't know how to react to it. But one of the things I love about Sharon Heights, just as somebody who enjoys coming to church here, is that we're not a trendy church. And we're not a traditional church. We're we are just us. I don't know where we fit in all these categories and, 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 you know, all this demographic. I don't know where we fit. We're just us. And I hope that that's because we understand that there are some places where we can move away from traditions, and there are some places where we have to move away from trends because we're being faithful to the Word of God no matter what it does to us. And I hope that the ministries we develop, the programs that we have, they're all designed interact with the Word of God. In children's church, the new women's DT class that's starting next Sunday night, that ladies you need to sign up for if you haven't. I, what we do in Sunday what we do in our youth ministries, that all of those things really are designed to get you to interact with the Word of God. Because one of the values that we value, we value exposition over entertainment. Now don't get me wrong. There are few churches where they have as much fun at church. I don't know of any in fact where I've ever had more fun at church than we do. But we also understand that if maybe encountering the Word of God on a given Sunday isn't very fun, we're going to go with the Word of God over fun. So we value a kind of preaching that lets the the message of the text be the point of the sermon. We really believe that God is not silent, that He has something to say from His Word that's going to touch every person's deepest needs, that's going to get to their biggest fears, that's going to touch on their biggest hopes and their biggest dreams, and ultimately is going to meet them at the point of their greatest need, which is the need of a Savior. So if you want entertainment, I hope you have a good time here, but that's not what we're here to do. I mean, if you want entertainment, listen, this week BJCC has Luke Combs, Marvel Action Heroes, and they're having a car show next weekend. They've got you covered. But that's not, We're not here to do what they are doing. We're here to preach the Word of God. And if you are a visitor here with us today, trying to scope us out and see what they do at Sharon Heights and see if our church you know, is a right fit and checks all of your boxes and all of that kind of stuff, I hope you understand this really is what we believe. It's really the kind of church that we want to be. And if, if that's what you're looking for, then we want to serve you and help you and be a part of your journey if that's God's will. But even if, if this is not where God wants you, uh, I would just take this opportunity to tell you that you shouldn't settle for traditions or trends. That you may find a church, you know, where their organ player, bless her heart, she plays like she's got a broke arm. And the youth ministry is nothing but a rusty old basketball hoop nailed to the side of the steeple. But if those people are preaching the gospel from the Word of God to you, you should love them, support them, be there through thick and thin, and help them, and go with them. Because if you need nothing else from God, other than what He said in His Word, about who you are, about who He is, about what He wants you to know and what He wants you to do, then don't settle for a church that's easily distracted from the clear mission of proclaiming the Word of God. And if you want that here, and I pray that you do, then here's what you do. You show up when the Word of God's going to be preached. You make it a point to come ready to listen. If listening well means you take notes, you take notes. If listening well means or applaud, or raise your hands in the air when somebody says something you like from the Word, then do that. That means that if there's Sunday school and you're able to be here, you be here. There's DT. That you get here. That you value the Word of God. In church, you do. I don't know of any church that loves preaching as much as you folks do. You love good, solid preaching, and you love whatever it is that I do, and I thank God for that. But that can be so easily lost. So Paul's conclusion to Timothy, beginning in chapter 4, is preach the word. He says, in the sight of God, the God who will judge the living and the dead, preach the word. Timothy, you've got nothing else to say. And if you lose that message, you've lost your reason to exist. Folks, that's true for Sharon Heights as well. If we lose the message of the word of God, we've lost our reason to exist. So that's Timothy's personal life. We've talked about his church life. I'm going to wrap up today. Let's talk about Timothy's Bible and his family life. This will probably be the most important thing I'm going to tell you today. So I want you to kind of stretch and regroup for just a minute so I can power through the end, all right? Timothy's Bible and his family life. Paul says, Timothy, from a child, from a child, you knew the Holy Scriptures. When you were a kid, you knew your Bible. Isn't that amazing? Timothy didn't just grow up in a home with a Bible. He grew up in the Bible. And we know from what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, that this is because of the influence of his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. That he had two generations of godly women in his life who made it a point to get that baby into the Word of God. Even before, biblically, even before Timothy had a relationship with Paul, he had a relationship with his Bible because his mother and his grandmother loved Jesus and they loved him and they wanted to get him into the Word of God. Now, we don't know about Timothy's father. He might not have been living. He may not have been in the home It's possible that he was in the home, but he simply wasn't a believer. We don't know, but me and I do know this. As the father, as the husband, the Bible puts the responsibility squarely on you for the spiritual education of your children. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. And we We get all fired up about preaching the Word of God a minute ago, don't we? Well, here's the Word of God. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. Men, there is no single greater indicator of your child's future spiritual well-being than your relationship to God, your relationship to the child and your relationship with God being brought into your relationship with that child. That's the number one indicator of whether or not but ladies, I know it's not that way in every home. And I know ladies, grandparents, some of y'all are doing the best you can. I want to tell you something. It paid off for Timothy. You keep sowing the seed of the Word in them. Whether dad's around, if dad's not around, or if dad just doesn't care and doesn't do what he ought to do, you keep giving them the Word. Mom, grandma, grandpa, pawpaw, whoever you are, keep giving them the Word. But I love that Timothy grew up in a home where they valued the Word of God. Timothy grew up in a home where a Bible was not just a prop that everybody had to find on Sunday morning before they went to church. But it was something that they opened and they shared together. Now, parents, I know, I know that you were under all kinds of pressure from other parents in your little peer group to raise your kids so that they are the next LeBron or the next Beyonce. And don't get me wrong, I hope they are. Because I want them to come back to Sharon Heights and pay their tithes. Somebody say amen. (laughs) But, parents, honestly... If they do grow up to achieve all their dreams and make millions, have you so grounded them into the Bible's way of thinking about themselves and God and life that all of that success won't ruin them? And if, I don't know, in the off chance that your precious little snowflake darling angel just grows up to work in an office, have you prepared them to live their life for the glory of God? To raise their kids for the glory of God? Parents, it's on you to do that. It's on you to do that. The Bible, cover puts that responsibility primarily on parents. The whole book of a book of fatherly advice to a son in wisdom. So we need you know we spend an astounding amount of time teaching our kids how to make proper heads up tackles in football and teaching girls whatever it is you teach girls to do. um, How to plie I guess. But as the people of God as the people of God we need more than just the Bible verses hanging on our walls in our houses as decorations. We need to be talking about the Word when we sit down to have dinner. We need husbands and fathers who are able to say, here's what the Word of God has been saying to me. Here's how the Word of God has been ministering in my life. Here's how the Word of God has been changing me. Right now in our DT classes, in youth DT, uh, Pastor Corey, if he ever gets back from his honeymoon, is doing a great job... I I think he's coming back. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Pastor Corey is doing a great job teaching about biblical worldviews, how the Bible shapes our view of life and how we interact with people in the world. Parents, it's not on Pastor Corey to instill that in your kids. It's on you to instill that in your kids. Pastor David and Sister Wendy, they do a great job in children's church. It's not on them to make sure those kids grow up to love the Lord and know the Bible. Parents, it's on you to do that. I know some of y'all heard angel singings and trumpet blaring this week when the president said that he wanted more teaching of the Bible in public schools. Y'all was waiting for the rapture thinking it was going to happen. The kingdom has come. That then sealed your vote for 2020, I know. Listen, it's not on a public school teacher to teach your kids the Word of God. Yes. Parent, it's on you to do it. Now, I understand it's hard. You've got to fight kids that are playing on blocks, and you've got to fight little boys. Stuff, I get that. And I say, just to be honest with you, this is an area where I have failed in many ways, particularly as a husband to shepherd my wife in the Word of God. But we had to start somewhere. So here's what what needs to happen today, honestly, as we prepare to finish up. What needs to happen is there need to be some men in this church who are man enough to go to their wives and say, honey, I have failed to be the spiritual leader of our home who's taken you in the Word of God. For too long I've put that on this one at church or that one at church or whoever else. I farmed you out to Bible teachers and Bible studies instead of being the faithful leader in our home. Guys, be careful doing that. That might kill her if you went to her and said that. So just be careful. It would be good for parents to sit down with their children at lunch and say to them, Kids, we repent to you because we've sinned against you by not instructing you in the Word of God. And it would be good for you to start to make inroads in this area. So I brought a couple of resources today. Now these are mine. You can't have them couple things that I've come across lit recently. One, this is called the Family Worship Bible Guide. It's not really a great title, but it kind of lets you know what it is, doesn't it? That has every chapter of the Bible. It'll have a couple paragraphs for you to have conversation with your kids. You read that chapter, then you go through. There's some questions that you can ask. Family Worship Bible Guide by Reformation Heritage Books, I think. But you want information, I can get you that. This one is something we've been going through with our daughter, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, all she knows is that there are colorful pictures and pages she can rip out of the book. That's all she knows. But the content of this is so good that I'm just going to start preaching it on Sunday mornings, honestly. It's that biblically sound and that gospel-centered. And it would make a great addition to your home if you've got kids that like to read. And if they don't, they need to read the Word. It's a good place to get them in it when they're maybe too small to get there completely. Otherwise, what you're teaching your kids is this church stuff is important. The Bible stuff is important on Sunday mornings when people are watching. But it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter in our most important relationships of life. And I hope that we're at the point where we're sick of that kind of hypocritical, externalized Christianity. And we say, I want this to make a difference in my children, my marriage, every area of life. As a pastor of a Baptist church, all my life, I've heard people say that we need revival. I've preached that. I've got those sermons stowed away. We need revival. Need revival. Need revival. I know what we mean when we that. I think if we would have churches that would commit to ministering faithfully in the Word of God. If we would have parents that would commit to raising their children at home, being grounded in the Word of God. Husbands and wives going through the Word of God together. And individuals soaking in the Word of God, letting it change our lives then we would have the revival that we need. So honestly, I don't know so much we need to revival. We just need to read the Bible again. That's what we need to do. Honestly, that's what we need to do. So how many of you would honestly admit today, you know, my relationship with the Bible really is not what I want it to be. I don't have a life-giving, soul-enriching relationship with the Word of God, but I want that. Would it be good to come today and say, Lord, sometimes it's just not there, but I want it to be there. Feed me in the pasture of the Word. Maybe it'd be good for you to come and pray for our church. Say, Lord, don't ever let us deviate from the mission and the message of this book. And it'll be great if husbands will grab their wives by the hands, parents will grab children if they're in the hand. Go and say, we want our family to be built on the regular interaction of the Word of God. We're standing to get together today. Our musicians are coming, and that's the invitation. It's simple. Just to say, Lord, I want to believe and live and trust that the Word of God really is enough. And I want it to do its work in me, in my church, and in my family. If you need to come today, the altar's open. Some are already slipping out. I'd encourage others to do so. Say, preacher, if I come to the altar, people are going to know I had not read my Bible this week. Well, hey, we're all human. All right? Nobody's going to judge you because they might not have read it either. But it doesn't have to be a dry and an empty relationship but it can be life-sustaining. Some are praying. If you need to come, the altar's open.